Come on. Hey, everyone. My name is Nachum Russell, or Russ, although this week's guest can actually say my name, so that's exciting. And this is my friend Lauren Sogard out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, for those of you who are new to this show, it's not a Q&A show, so save your dog training questions for another time. I'm sure that Lauren would love to answer all of them, so send them all her way. Um, but this is more of a show just to, to get to know trainers, have a fun discussion. You guys are more than welcome to join in the conversation in the comments. Um, if, it's a if it's a comment that's actually apropos to our discussion, we might actually talk about it. But either way, you guys are more than welcome to comment, um, ask questions that have to do with our discussion, but not your Q&A dog training questions because we're not going to answer them. Anyhow, <laughs> Lauren, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and tell everyone about yourself real quick. All right. Um, I'm Lauren Sogard. Um, I own All Dogs Balanced Training out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I am married. We have four dogs, one cat that thinks she's a dog and one horse that thinks he's a human. Um, and... I got into dog training because the um, oldest dog that we have, Frank, he has um, eight bites to the face on his record. And um, we got another dog who was very uh, dull. And then we got a third dog who was very sensitive. And so then all of a sudden we had this big mess and I had to get control of it somehow. And um, my best friend, Rachel Mark, who Russ met last couple weeks ago also, she, um, I always had like the cheap shot collars, which worked well for Frank, but I quickly learned that um, obedience was not uh, fixing the problem. It was actually making it worse. So the mindset is huge and um, sort of went down the rabbit hole of Jeff and everybody. And I went to T3 and uh, then I just jumped right in and started my business and now I'm swamped. <laughs> That's awesome. How long have you? How long have you actually been in business? In business? Um, I went to T three in October 2018, and I think I started taking dogs right when I got home from that. And then I quit. I went to college here in Indy also, and I'd graduated a year or two before, and I was working as a nanny for some people that we know whose dogs are here right now. And um, they, um, I quit working for them like in. December. We went on the trip and came back and started taking dogs for free. And then it was just sort of a couple dogs. And then I had lots of people calling. So <laughs> and then it all took off from there. Yeah. Quick. I love I love talking to trainers. I love talking to trainers in general, but I love talking to trainers who got into it because of their own dog. You've probably heard me say this a bunch of times. I think <laughs> it's a very cool it's a it's a good perspective to have, I know for myself. Like when I talk to a client and I know exactly what they're going through, not just because I've dealt with other dogs like that, but because I have my own shitty dog. Like yeah. I know I I was been in their shoes, you know, I know what it's like. And I think it's a good perspective to have. I'm curious about one thing that you said that I want you to expand on. You said that you realized that obedience wasn't helping. It was making it worse. How was it making it worse? So I found Frank on, um, by the way, we call Frank Buzz because his life motto is to infinity and beyond. He is very drivey. He was accepted to go to the Indiana Bomb Squad and do work for them because he was been returned so many times. He's only like one, one and a half. And so he's very intense. So I found this dog. He looked pretty small. Is Frank the Doberman? For, no, Frank is the older looking hound dog, big hound okay. dog. And he um, really, really smart. 
um, crazy ball drive. Like you can't spell swimming in the house. Like you just quiet. And he actually had never bitten anybody before I got him. So, but he was excruciatingly out of control. Like, you know, to the point of like, he had like a front clip harness from the rescue or whatever. And he, which I knew it wasn't going to work, but you know, dragging, like moving backwards, like staring at the lady walking backwards, like they're walking forwards, but he's walking backwards and still dragging her that way. And when I showed up, I thought he was going to be like a 45 pound dog. He's like 85 pounds of like ripped muscle and insanity. So I actually returned him 24 hours later because he was so out of control. And I don't think to this day that I've ever had one in that was that out of control. It took, it was like a lot of steps before I could really actually get him more under control. So I got him back a couple weeks later, I had a big horse show. Um, and I was like, this is, this is too much. Like I want him, but he's, he's nuts. He's on my level of nuts, but like, I got to have control over him. He's going to hurt somebody just because he's nuts. So, and he was loud and we were in an apartment then. So I, when I, when we did get him back, I used to use like the pet safe e-collar, which for him was fine. Um, I used tone back then and I used the you know, zapper method and it, it worked well. He became, it was very, it was quick. He was like, okay, I won't jump. Okay, I won't pull. Okay, I won't bark. Okay, I won't, you know, do all these crazy things. But the stiller he became, the closer people could get and the closer people got, he started to bite and he will, and he won't make any noise. He just, whoosh, and he'll just get you and then run like a coward. Yeah. So it was pretty, um, and it was always in a bizarre situation. Never like when I was standing there, um, honestly in college at one point, one of my roommates had a party and I was working at the barn. So I didn't know it was like a homecoming thing. So it was like middle of the day, kids are like drunk, high, whatever, you know, insanity. And I was older than everybody else in college anyway. So, you know, it's kind of people were like nuts and I was like, calm down. So I wasn't aware, um, that she was having a party and the bin of dog toys was out in the common area. And one of her friends was like so drunk or something. She was like, Oh my God, dog. And went looking in everybody's room for the dog. So he was actually on his bed underneath of my bed, like in college, you know, the college style bed. He was underneath of my bed on his bed. He never even came off of his bed. She went all the way across my bedroom, got onto his bed in the far corner of the room. And of course he got, like, you know, it's not, he doesn't go to get people, but you know, when people put this, I mean like, duh, you know, right. like almost any dog. I mean, I mean, I, I do that too. If somebody snuck into my house in the middle of the night and snuck into my room, like you're, yeah. you're going to find out quickly that you shouldn't be there. Yeah. So it was kind of, you know, it, it's a lot of situations like that. Um, never like friends or family, never, you've never, so how did, how did the obedience make it worse? So when he was like obedient, like when he would sit still for people to pet him and then people would still get too close with their face or whatever, then he would be like, shit, 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 shit. And then get somebody. So, but I guess, I guess in that case, like in the bedroom, you know, had I not gotten any control of him, he would have just been probably just running around the bedroom barking the whole time. Right. You know what I mean? And then he probably just would have run out and been like, oh my God, like bing bonging around. And he would have never actually bit the girl, but he was stationary on his bed because he was calm, but he wasn't. And in that case, I guess he was truly probably really trapped. But, you know, in other situations, I mean, he, you know, it was kind of the same thing. Like, it's just when they when they stand still enough. And I warn my clients about this, like 
just because your dog has never bitten anybody now, not with every dog, but some of the dogs that come in, I'm like, just because this dog hasn't bitten anybody, now he's going to be on place at home. And dogs, I've noticed, they're much better at staying out of the way and avoiding things that they don't feel comfortable with than you notice. And as soon as they start to get still like that and they know they don't have anywhere else to go, then you have a dog if they're fearful or then the fear starts to come out because you have a lot of crazy dogs that seem confident and whatever and they're, they're not. So you have to be, I tell people to be really careful because dogs are really good at maneuvering around the things that sort of make them uncomfortable. And unless they're skittish or truly outwardly afraid, it's really hard for owners to notice that the dog is like that. And I think that those are the dogs that, those are the dogs that bite people when you yeah. do commands and you don't do mindset and then you don't advocate for their space so you know and that's it's like, like a too false, for, what it's like a false confidence that dogs like that yeah. show off right and then yeah. when they're actually put on the spot about it they're like oh shit i don't know what else to do let me yeah. bite yeah so frank is a, a huge weenie you know if he if i hear it's a very distinctive that he does now at least he usually growls now and he hasn't been anybody in like three and a half years four years or something so that's good for him <laughs> but um you know, I, you know, every now and then he'll snap at a dog or something and you'd be like, Frank, and it's, he's like a fainting goat. He just like keels over and I'm like, <laughs> you know, but you know, he's like a huge weenie, you know, he knows he did something wrong. He knew he couldn't help it in the moment, but he's like, oh crap, sorry. Like, he so doesn't talk the, the idea a little bit of mindset. So like a lot of trainers talk about mindset. I try to talk about it too. I think anyone who's trying to get good results is trying to focus on a dog's mindset. I think everybody kind of relates to it and explains to a different, explains it differently. So like in your situation with Frank and I guess in general with your training, what are you, what are you looking for? What are you trying to work on? That's different than just teaching obedience because there is a ton of like you yourself did this and I did this. And I think a lot of people did this so that when we think of training a dog, we think of okay they got to have these like set of five commands that they know really well and then i could have control over them and then everything's going to be good and then like you find yourself in that situation where it's not really good so what is it that you think changes it in the bigger picture that you try to implement into your training now i mean i think having honestly for most dogs a solid amount of respect um and i tell owner you know you don't want dogs to be fearful but for a regular owner, it's not so bad if the dog is a little bit, not like wary, but like knows truly and truly when you're serious because they think better. And for me, the mindset isn't necessarily about getting the commands and then holding them accountable. It's honestly teaching a dog to think. So on, on their own, um, like if Frank is uncomfortable here, he knows how to remove himself. He, he will get off place and he will make a better choice and go to the back and go on his bed. So once our personal dogs know how to sort of remove themselves from those situations and can sort of think clearly when they're given the liberty to do so, then you have a dog with a correct mindset. And when they are in a situation where they're like about to be like, oh shit, then they need to look to you for the guidance and then keep themselves together without a huge, you know, like, you know, directive or whatever, yeah. you know, like a calm, like you're fine. You're fine. I'm not letting them get any closer. Don't worry. You know what I mean? Like, or no, <laughs> no, don't go get the deer. You know, they don't always make the right choice in that case. And I mean, most dogs aren't going to go and kill a deer, but you know, again, think. And then if you're questioning whether you're going to go chase the deer, look to me and then I'll help you out and then sort of move on. 
from there. But I'm a huge advocate of like, if, if the dog hasn't been basically totally off the e-collar by the time they leave here, then I don't really consider them done. Cause I don't like sending clients home with doing drills. I don't like sending clients. I, I do send clients home doing the corrections, but if I'm still having to do, you know, some of those bigger corrections at the end, to me, they're still teetering on the edge of truly right. getting there with their head. And so, which is why I'm really excited to do three weeks next year, because um, I think, you know, when you have a dog, when, when you have an easy two week dog that can truly do it, you know, I arguably, you know, they're doing something in the yard or whatever. No, come, you know, they come and you don't need the e-collar. You only need it for really big things so when they're truly like when they truly have it in my opinion. And a really big thing isn't on a daily basis that they have, that you have to use it. You have it on in case you need it, but it's not something that, you know, you know, you have it on, you have it on your person if you need it. Cool. But on a daily basis, a done dog to me shouldn't be needing it used on a daily basis. Right. And I think it's important to clarify the way you, the way you said it, because I know what you mean, but some people listening might not. Okay. When you say sending a dog home not on the e-collar, what you mean is that they're not being prompted and or corrected over and over on the e-collar. Yeah. But they're still wearing the e-collar, yeah. right? And that's an important distinction because there are trainers out there who say if a dog is wearing an e-collar, they're not actually performing because they're trained, right? Oh, and <laughs> I think that that's an important distinction specifically because for the owners who are listening to this, I don't really care about the trainers who are listening to this. It's like do things your way if you're a trainer. But for the owners who are listening to this, if your dog is on an e-collar, it's still trained. The idea is to try as much as you could that you're not relying on the e-collar, that the e-collar is there for the backup to support you and to make your no meaningful essentially, right? And the bigger picture of what it's supposed to be at the in a finished picture, right? Yeah. And it's just an important clarification because I don't want people to listen to this and be like, oh, so if my dog's on an e-collar, he's not trained, but he just came home from a board and trained wearing an e-collar, like no. how does that work? And it's important separation. Yeah, and I think that the big, like the big nose, you know what I yeah. mean? Like if you, if they don't come in the yard and you say, I don't know, George, no, you know, they should still turn around and come to you honestly without a prompting. Now, if you're right. out in the woods and they're chasing after a deer, Okay, fine. No, hit the e-collar. But like, you know, on a normal daily basis, I don't really feel like dogs should need to be being prompted if they're truly to that state of being better and in a believable state with the owners, which could take a week or two. I usually tell people if the dog is here for two weeks, for them four. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. You don't. So twice as much time, depending on the dog. Obviously, though, any hard dog is going to be here longer than that. So it usually escalates quickly to six weeks, eight weeks, right. 10 weeks, whatever. But Something that I appreciated a lot when when we had met and I was just listening to you talk and discuss things the way you think about it is that you want to train dogs to think for themselves, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Obviously, you're guiding them on what that should look like, but you want them really to learn how to make decisions properly yeah. so that and if they don't know what to do with the specific situation to look towards their human to help them through it. And that's that's the ultimate right having a dog that not only does it know what it's expected of it it knows how to make that right choice to do it and then i think most importantly is when it doesn't know what to do because there's many situations where dogs don't know what to do because we put them into this human world right yeah. and that in that situation when they don't know what to do that they're looking to one specific person for that help for that guidance and then on the other end of it that the owner is learning what to do with that guidance right what to do yeah 
what to do when the dog looks at them like that, how to read it. it then it becomes a true two-way conversation between owner and dog. I just appreciate it a lot the way you the way you presented that idea that you're teaching dogs to think. You're not just teaching dogs to do things and to live a certain way, but you're actually teaching them how to think. Um, somebody asked a specific question for you. Um, here, let me just put it up over there. Oh, so long. Okay. When you know your dog is under pressure and should defer to you for guidance, so it's kind of what we were just talking about. How do you mm -hmm. determine how much pressure you're going to allow versus advocating for them uh, versus how they should be able to think and make the right choice? Just curious if this is contingent upon the dog, client, environment, situation, or is this just your dog, Frank? Uh, I think it's totally dependent per dog and per client. Um, if you have a dog that bites, there should be, you know, if they're looking to you, that the point where they're looking to you, they're probably starting to freak out. So if somebody is coming too close, then that is step up for that. Um, you shouldn't, and especially if you're there. So in, in in no case have I been present with Frank when he's bitten somebody. I've saved his, I've saved countless people. Secretly, <laughs> <laughs> I've saved countless people um, from him. So I think, but all because I, t the second he stops breathing and his eyes get huge you have about 0.01 seconds before somebody is too close. So I think you need to step up, you know, sort of for that. But I think it depends on every dog. I mean, it can be the same for excitability also. It doesn't just have to do with biting. You know, yeah. if someone's going too close to the cotton, they're starting to go nuts. It's still a break in the mindset. And there's still, and it also depends too, like what dogs are ready for. Um, you know, people can put quite a bit of pressure on Frank and he's, you know, he, to be honest with you, as long as you don't bend over and put your face in him, he's not going to bite you. But he's learned that because I'm sure he's gone for a few hands also. So um, and he actually and you just sort of have to read the dog. He's actually he's quite friendly. He's quite friendly. Like if anybody comes over here, he will go up to you. We also have three other dogs. So I have to remind people too. like I know that he's being friendly, but he's also guarding, guarding the space from the other dogs. And if he's not going to snap at you, if the other dogs come in too excited, he's going to snap at them. Yeah. So it's, you know, a little bit. And like, I think I told Russ, I have a secret thing. And when there's people over here and there's company, if we just tell him, Frank, do you want to get in the shower? <laughs> he usually stories off to the bedroom. So we have a little bit of a secret way to, to get him out of there quickly um, where I'm not having to be like, no, Frank place, you know, all these things when there's like people around because it, then people are going to be like, oh, but he's so nice. He's leaning on me. And I'm like, no, he's a shithead. Like, he's, gonna, he's going to bite something. <laughs> so yeah. get him out of the way, you know? And it's not it's not going to be as intense now. He's like 10 years old. Like, you know, he's he's good. But, um, you know. I think it's very, I think it's very contingent. It's a good question, Tiffany. Yeah. I think it's very contingent really on the dog. And mm -hmm. then in terms of like, so Marley is kind of similar in that sense. And I will put him away when I have guests over that he doesn't know. Yeah. Um, if it's not like close family or close friends, I'll put him away because I know that he feels more comfortable being away from it. He doesn't yeah. like that pressure. And I have no reason whatsoever to put that level of pressure on him because I know that he's gotten to a point in his life where he's really good with the things that I need him to be good for. And everything past that is like, be you. It's okay that you don't like people. I don't like everyone either. Right. And, but I think when it comes to like the way we're presenting it to our clients and to dog owners, it's a very important, there's two parts to it. I, I would say number one is always advocate for the dog and 
try in the beginning, at least in the beginning, oh to kind of step in before yeah. the dog totally needs your guidance, right? Yeah. Because many times it's a little bit too late. And especially if you know, and it doesn't only, we're not only talking about aggression cases. Like you said something that's very true is that it's also just a dog that's a hyperactive, overly aroused type of dog or a fearful dog. It could be all those types of messed up heads yeah. that, that it affects. But if we wait till the dog is already looking to you for guidance, many times it's too late, at least in the beginning of the process, right? Yeah. And once an owner really gets to be in tune with their dog in a real way, and the dog actually fully respects that owner and like their relationship changes a lot, that's when they can start to slowly read into it a little bit more and be like, all right, I know my dog, he's looking to me for guidance. I'm going to uh, either let him go, I'm going to advocate for him, or I'm going to put a little more pressure on him. And it's kind of going to be different in every situation and every dog and every owner. Number one of like how much the dog can actually handle, which is simply get to know the dog, right? Like I, I try to say it as much as I could, you got to know your dog just because one dog can go from biting people to now loving people doesn't mean that your dog that bites people is going to be like that, right? So it's get to know your dog in a real way, not just like what their favorite treat is. <laughs> and, and then also like really focus on, on what matters to you with it and, and, you know, where you are in your relationship with your dog. And I think that those things are very important. Like I have one client who um, I sent the dog home with only two things that were important. Make sure there's peace in the house and that you can walk your dog, yeah. which basically meant the dog was either in their crate or on place because this dog had sent the owner to the hospital multiple times, was dangerous, and was going to be put down if we couldn't make life better for him. So there was no other expectation besides, Marley, shut up, besides <laughs> walk your dog nicely and have peace in the house, right? But this owner has slowly been pushing the boundaries with it in a very good way, right? Mm -hmm. And slowly been putting more pressure on her dog till the point where now He'll go out places with her and sit under the table when they're sitting somewhere or something like that. But it's because she put in the work to get to know her dog in a real way, to work on their relationship and to really know how valuable this learning experience is going to be for the dog and for her. So it's, I don't think there's a set answer to something like that. I don't, I don't think so either. And I would honestly over advocate. So you don't have to overcorrect. Yes. You're going to do way more damage overcorrecting and you don't want to be, and you don't want to be over jumpy about it or advocating either. So just create, you know, over advocate, but do it calmly. If you're not having a good day, don't do it. Like Frank hates laying down on hard surfaces. I should also preface this. I'm a runner and I used to run like 10 miles a day and Frank would come with me. I could get in the shower, get back out, ask me if he wanted to go on a run, go nut. Like he hadn't just run 10 miles. Like, so and, and he said two ACL repairs. So I, you know, was pain probably also a part of this? Yeah. But does he bite people? Yes. So, right. you know, you, but you have to sort of know the dog and, you know, it can take time to sort of figure out what's going on and why. And, you know, over advocate so you don't have to overcorrect. And definitely, yes, I tell people, that's just, which is honestly why I don't teach. I don't formally teach off leash heel because all my clients have so many kids. I'm like, if they're all running towards the stop sign, kids, small kids on bikes and the dog off leash and there's a car coming, it's not going to end well in any direction. You know what I mean? Somebody, you're not going to be, they're not going to be clear headed enough to use the e-collar on the dog. 
the kid, you know, the kids are going to be front and foremost, the kids, you know what I mean? So it could just be a huge disaster. But I tell people when you do heal enough and they're consistent about it and you, you know, sort of advocate for the dog in that way and get their attention and have it and have the respect, then over time, your dog will do off leash heal. No problem. And then you're ready. So I kind of don't like, you know, pre programming the dog to have all these fancy skills when really most of my owners shouldn't be doing them off the bat because they're just so busy, you know, right. and that's train owner. I train dogs for really busy, really busy families. And so, but the dogs are also great enough and the people are like, just help me. I'll do what you say. And they get that quickly. So, and you know, if they're like, okay, we've been doing this, 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 and this, and they come back for boarding and they're like, we want to work on this more. Cool. I just added in to the boarding. And, you know, then they're ready because they're thinking about the next steps. They've got it down on the basic level. The dog's been good, all these things. You know, they advocate for this. The kids have been good with that, whatever, you know. And then so slowly owners can start to finish it how they want to finish it. And I think it just, yeah, totally depends on the dog for the advocating or not. Yeah, I love and apparently people listening to love the way you worded that to over advocate rather than over correct. Hmm. I think that's perfect. It's such a great, great thing. And it's so important. And it really kind of puts the, it puts the responsibility on the owner instead of just the dog, which is so important, right? Yeah. There's so much of like expecting the dog to know what to do, expecting the dog to make the right choice, expecting the dog to do everything right, where the owner plays a massive part in that too. And it's like, if you set the situation up, doesn't mean the environment, but if you set the situation up properly, your dog shouldn't necessarily always need to make those decisions or always because you're there to kind of to advocate, right? To, to set it up that it works. Simple one of like somebody reaching down to touch your dog that bites people or that gets overly excited for things. And you're there to step in and be like, don't touch my dog. And now your dog, you saved your dog a punishment besides obviously saving your ass and your dog's not biting somebody. But even if it's just a dog that's like getting overly excited when it sees people you're saving your dog that punishment that actually doesn't deserve because it's on you to ensure that doesn't happen it's a it's a solid way of saying it to over advocate instead of over correcting I, I i don't even I, actually, wrote it down. I do not punish dogs for jumping i say if you want if you don't want your dog to jump then you get good at doing place at home i don't punish dogs for jumping it's yeah. too, like put the dog on place if you don't want it to jump and if you want it to be good at the door then you practice your place look breakfast lunch and dinner when it's busy tie it back when the first group of people comes over and ta-da, you got to fix. And then once your dog is used to that and it's not on place when people come over, it just magically won't jump on people. Yeah. I, I very rarely have to correct a dog for jumping because we're changing like back to the beginning of this, we're changing the dog's mindset a lot more yeah. and creating new patterns. And what happens is if you take away the old pattern, which is rushing the door, jumping on people, and then you create a new pattern of like someone comes to the door, I'm going to hang out on my bed or people are eating, I'm going to go hang out on my bed and I'm just going to chill here. Then slowly we're building new muscle memory, right? Like the right. dog until now, it's, I see people, I jump, I see people, I jump, I see people, I jump. We stopped that from happening without even having to punish, by just not allowing it to get to that. And, <laughs> and <laughs> that's my dog. It's not even like a client's dog. I think okay. I have 14 on place in the other room. I hope they're all in place. <laughs> Entertain them for a second. Marley, come here. 
Lay down. And then instead, we end up having a whole new... I totally just let my dog out of the crate for whining. So guys, do what I say, but not what I do. Um, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> but what was I saying? We create new new muscle memory in place of the old one, and it just kind of builds over it, right? So instead of having to punish a dog for jumping, which technically, yeah, you can totally pop a leash or press a button on an e-cow, and the dog's not going to jump again until it jumps again, then... Or you can just create a whole new pattern and a whole new association with people. And the results of that are going to be much better, longer lasting, and actually make sense to the dog. Because the only reason why the dog jumps on people in the first place is because of the pattern of excitement that's been put into place from when it's very young. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And I do have some super, I get a lot of crazy excited doodles. So like, yeah. a, you know, I'll tap, you know, I'll tap low for that type of thing, but I'm not, I'm, I'm talking, you can, you know, tap low for teaching or whatever. Not that choice, not that choice, not that choice. But I don't, you know, a lot of people just whip the dog out and right. hit it on a hundred for that. And I'm just like, this is like, I mean, you can, but it's not going to work on every dog. And it's to me, it's not really that fair. So, yeah. um, and it's, you haven't given the dog any other option in that situation. So yeah. you're just really setting it up and, is there a time and place for it? Yeah. But most dogs, it's absolutely not necessary at all. It's kind of a lazy way out for most dogs. And if, you are, if you are going to do that, I recommend put the receiver on the top of the head so they duck down away from it. Because as people probably know, if you get a dog too high, they usually jump straight back up. Yeah. So if you do have one that's bad about that, and I understand some dogs are bad jumpers. They're big. You know, you need to make an impact quickly. Fine. But put the receiver on the top of the head because... That at least then maybe they'll duck down away from it instead of falling back up in the air again. So before you ever worked with dogs, you were a pro horse rider, respect rider, right? And Marley, come here. <laughs> Lay down. Good boy. He comes out of his crate, he gets his way, so then he goes to make sure everyone else sees that he's out of the crate. Um, yeah. So before you worked with dogs, you were a pro horseback rider, right? Yeah. How long did he do that? Uh, when I was five, I wanted a dog. And my dad was like, maybe you should get a horseback riding lesson. Those don't live in the house. And from that day, he's really a sorry soul because of it. Um, so I did, I think I've been a professional since I graduated high school in 2009. And um, I got out of it basically when I started doing this full time, it was like traveling like, you know, 270 days a year and, you know, I had met, I'd met John and, you know, it's, I could still be doing it, but it's, it's insane. And my horse was sort of stepping down at that point. I've had him since he was four years old and he's this year, uh, he's 19. So he'd sort of been coming down, jumping lower fences at the shows and, you know, you didn't need to show at all those, you know, a bunch of those, at all those big show barns where you work that's required you do, you know, at least 12 shows a year. And usually it's much more than that. So, um, but at that point I was just like, eh, I want to you know, spend time with my own horse still, you know, he wasn't to the point where he was full retirement. So I didn't just want to like be constantly gone. And, um, you know, John and I started sort of moving forward and, you know, all these things. And I'm like, well, is there something that I can do? Like, cause there's nothing else that I do like besides horses, you know, right. and, I guess dogs, but I, and I like dogs, but I, I was, I was always the horse person. I'm not the one that like gets, has five minutes and gets up and like does treats 
stuff and teaching them fun stuff with their dogs. So um, Rachel was the one who she had told me about T3, but I, I didn't actually ever really look into it. And of course, because we talked about it on the phone, it started popping up on my phone on Facebook. And it was like, you know, a seminar that changes your life or something. And you don't have to be a dog trainer to go. And so I was like, dad, apparently this changes your life. And, and you don't have to be a dog trainer to go. And he was like, well, what are you going to do if you go? And I was like, I don't know, I guess train dogs. And he was like, okay, you can go. <laughs> so I just, you know, I, I went and I think a lot of my, I, I don't, although I don't really realize it, I think a lot of the way that I do things with the dogs is obviously because of the horses. Uh, I think I have some sort of a freaky animal ability anyways, so I don't totally know, but, um, you know, a lot of that, you know, you can't just, you can't just whip 1200 pounds into doing what you want it to do. So having teach, teaching the horse to make the right decisions and having a horse that's bred to do the work that you're doing with it. I'm a huge advocate of that also, please don't go. I mean, you can, there are some like service dogs and stuff that, you know, you can get from other places, but you know, I urge people to seek professional help in that way because there are dogs that are specifically bred and brained for that. Um, and same with the horses, like, you know, there's an ability that every horse can can reach and some of them have better bloodlines than others and are capable of more than others. So being able to know like what every animal is capable of and what they need on a daily basis to sustain that is, you know, something that you just sort of have to know um, from being around them and riding yeah. them, training the dogs or whatever. I think I mentioned to Josh and Julie's that it can be hard for me to train dogs sometimes because I ride horses. <laughs> so there's a constant feel with your leg and a constant light feel on the reins. And when you're standing next to a dog and the loose leash, the leash is loose, it's different in a way for sure. Um, so it, you know, it can be a little mix matchy, but again, you know, you can't just, you can't manhandle 1200 pounds into right. When we want, and sometimes they're assholes. So yeah, you got to get after them, but you have to pick the time and the place to do it. And you have to be ready that if, you know, if you're not, you know, if you're a younger, you know, if you're an amateur rider or an adult rider, you don't have the, you don't have the will to, to end that fight, then you better have somebody around that can because it'll get dangerous quickly because right. they're, so, um, you know, and same with dogs. You can get dangerous quickly, which is why I tell people just go do a board and train because, and I don't do lessons either because of that, because I'm like, it's not safe. It's not safe to teach somebody to ride at really on a really advanced horse. It is safe to teach somebody to ride on a really advanced horse, but it's best to teach somebody to ride on a school type horse. One that can like take a joke and take it doing wrong. And like, you know, you're not going to mess with their brain in any way. And so when you start, having dogs come in for lessons that are have reactivity and stuff if you don't have an owner with good timing and if you don't have an owner to finish that fight if it occurs then you have a real dangerous problem on your hands so when you put people on horses that are you know too not experienced enough and or too experienced to be freaked out by them doing it wrong same thing like it's just not a good you have to when you really want to learn you have to do it with dogs and horses that are really steady steady so you, you kind of threw in there that you feel like a lot of what you do with dogs comes from what you did with horses mm -hmm. in what way? So my horse is very, um, he comes from a top bloodlines. He's not from this country. He's from the Netherlands. So he's flown over here. Um, it's very good, high jumping, well-known parents. 
And um, so he was born with the ability for greatness, I guess you could say. And, but he is tricky headed. He can be he's very, very smart and he will do whatever I ask because I'm sort of, as you noticed, probably like boldly, like I'll just crash right into whatever I'm going to do. I don't care if I fail. Like, I'm just like, yep, I'm going to leave 20 feet away from this jump. And he's like, cool, let's go. But the second you put somebody on him, who's like, oh, I might miss the distance. He's like, I'm not jumping any jumps for you. So, which is also why we still own him because he was one of the top horses in the country. Anybody would have wanted to buy him, but every time somebody got on him, he wouldn't jump because they didn't have that backing confidence. So for me, I'm like, at the very least, if you're going to get on him, you have to sort of almost fake it till you make it. Like just, if you're going to make a decision, even if it's insane, just stick to it and go and he will go. But when you start changing your mind and second guessing yourself, it's going to be a, a bad situation. And he's going to be like, get off me. Like right. he's going to be right through it. So as long as you fake it till you make it and you stick to whatever insane decision that you've made, he's, he's right there. But so teaching that horse and he can be stubborn. So if he doesn't want to, it, it doesn't have to be anything like it can just be as simple as like trotting more forward. If he's wild in the winter and he's like, no, and he starts swishing his tail and like hopping around, but it's, it's, it's getting a 1200 pound animal to do what you want it to do, but making it think that it's idea to do it, which is the same thing with dog training. You got to make them think that it's their idea, you know, to get out of this or get out of that, or, you know, do sit, do down in the rain on the freezing cold. And, you know, you can do a whole bunch of teaching to get there. And at some point you're going to have to be like, listen, this is the box of rules that we've set up. So you do your half, I'll do my half, and then we can meet happily in the middle. And then that's where we will shine. Right. If you don't make it till there, then you're going to always have a wavering iffy balance. And at some point they always test you again. My horse bites. He's been fighting me for 15 years. Still bites. I'm sure he bit me yesterday. You know, he's always trying to like bite me. I've beaten him for it. He just, he doesn't care. He just stands in and he's like, eh, well, you should have moved, you know? So, you know, there are some things give and take, you know, as long as he's not around little kids, but he's actually gentle with little kids. So really it's, you know, middle-aged. So is it kind of like you would say what you took from horses is the idea of obviously the confidence that you have to have when you work with an animal, especially a tougher animal, a tougher dog or something like that, because dogs and I'm assuming horses because animals all work like this humans work like this that we like to follow somebody who's confident right that yeah. confidence that's necessary in it but also i think something that you mentioned is also that and this is i've heard from a lot of horse people before who also have dogs or also work with dogs that like you said you can't force a 1200 pound animal into doing something he's he's gonna win he'll throw you off he'll trample you right it's like yeah. so simple it has to be that you're able to communicate with the animal in a way that it feels it's making that decision, right? Yeah, and you have to know what the limits of the decision-making are per horse. Right. Your horse can jump four and a half foot fences. My horse can, but if he still thinks that you're joshing him on what you want to do, he's still not going to do it. So yeah. it's a very delicate balance there. I mean, forcing, you know, a little pony, you know, you can't, you can't force all animals to do everything. Same with the dogs. They all reach their potential, like you said about the other dogs biting or whatever the bad one that they were going to put down yeah he lives in the crater on place and he goes on a walk and he's alive and they're safe because of it and so horses kind of have the same limits you know you can't go pushing them too far or they will kill they'll go insane and they'll kill you so right. 
you have to just always sort of know. And even per day, like just because my horse can jump that high doesn't mean every day I pull him out of the stall and he feels his best. So you have to be able to know that. And you have to know that before you try, before you go and do it. You know, you don't want to be going up. You have to know that base before you even get on. You should know that when you're doing anything with an animal. When you pull a dog out to work with it, at one point Josh asked me if that little puppy, he said, do you think we can take Coda, Kona? What's the name? Coda, Kona? Kona. Kona. Do you think we can take Kona out and you can get him to feel like that tomorrow? And I said, I don't know. I have to see how he is in the morning. Right. They pull him out and then see, I don't know. I don't make plans. I don't even think, I don't even think that far ahead. Just get it out the next day. And then I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. I see it a lot. And especially with owners more than trainers, because most of the trainers who I talk to generally can read dogs, hopefully. But I think that a lot of owners, especially when they send their dogs away for training to a training program, or even if they work with a trainer, they expect the dog to become it's to a certain extent, the robot. Right. Mm -hmm. And they forget that like you have days when you don't want to do anything. You have days when you're not interested. You have days when it's just one of those days, right? Everyone has those days and we expect dogs not to have those. And it, it doesn't mean that it's like a day that the dog gets away with doing whatever it wants, but it means it's a day that the, the dog is not necessarily to be worked just to chill, just to be itself. And like, I like a lot of what you're saying about the horses because it definitely plays so much of it does play out. And I guess it's just animal behavior and animal learning is all going to be very similar in one way or another that the idea of teaching a dog, cause I can talk about dogs, not horses, but <laughs> teaching a dog in a way that it feels that it's made the decisions to do the things that you want. It's you're kind of brainwashing these animals, but that's what it is, right? You're getting into their head. You're playing a game. And they feel that they've made that decision on their own rather than just being forced into it. But they're so happy that, when they're like that. Sorry? They're happy about it when right. they're like that. So, right. you know, it's not really brainwashing. You're just sort of swapping the way that it is. Yeah. Well, you're, you're guiding, you're giving them a false sense of free will, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're guiding them into the direction of where you want it to go so that they end up making that perfect decision in the big picture of what you really want out of it. And it's a cool way. I didn't always think about dog training like this, but it's a very cool way of thinking about it. And it makes a lot, a lot of sense because you get the behaviors you want. But like you said, you get a dog who's happy doing the behaviors you want because it feels that it decided to do it. Yeah. And then once it decides to do it, that's when you can be like, all right, you made that decision. Keep making that decision. And then if you don't make that decision, there's going to be a consequence for it. So now you really want to make that decision. Yeah. And but in terms of like for, for owners, it's so important to, to remember that you have shitty days, your dog has shitty days, and it's totally normal. And again, like I kind of said it earlier, get to know your dog in a real way so that you can look at your dog and know whether it's like blowing you off because it's being an asshole or blowing you off because it really just needs time off. Okay. And that's okay. And then just give it that time. Let it, let yeah. it take a rest. I'm a huge advocate of days off. You know, Rachel and I have been talking, well, this is happening, this is happening. Have you, have you given it a day off? No place. Nothing. You take it to the bathroom on a leash, wait at the door, maybe heel to the potty spot, and you come back inside and it sits in the cage. Like, I, I, have, I get puppies in for training. I can basically teach a puppy to walk on a leash by leaving it crated like 23 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so easy. Anybody can do it. But 
again, people, people don't, you know what I mean? They don't understand the true meaning of like sitting and soaking and leaving it out. And yeah, like you said, it's very important that you, because a bad day just can't be an asshole moment that then you miss and you, then they're gaining on you every time. So yeah, you have to keep it. And, and you know, if you're, if you personally can't handle it, I think it's okay to skip the moment because they, the dog essentially won in that moment and then it's going to come back, but right. you're ready next time. And same with the horses, you know, if you're not feeling well and they take off bucking and they're just crazy and you need to just get off or if an older adult is scared, fine. But then you got to have somebody, you got to finish it off at some point. And at some point too, with every rider, the rider has to, you know, the trainer can do a lot, but on the horse, but at some point they're going to know the difference and same with the owners at home and the dogs. Like, you know, if you're not doing anything at home with your dog for eight months, cause COVID and it comes to stay at my house, it's still going to do exactly what I tell it to do because they know the difference. So you just have to be very careful. Um, you know, at some point the owner still has to have to have the hard conversation with the dog and you can't just chuck it off as a bad day, but right. My Saturdays here with Gordon. Sorry. That's what reading your dog is all about and knowing the difference. Hi, hon. Yeah, absolutely. My oh. Saturdays here now with Borden trains is, is nothing. It's exactly what you said. Soaking yeah. time. Go outside. I'll, I'll do like w short walks with some of them because I don't really do like play yard. So it's bathroom. We'll do short walks like to the bay and back and which is five minutes from my house walking and, and then go in your crate. And then Sunday we'll do some place time added on to that. And like weekends are for soaking. And so I get a break, but the dogs actually learn a lot from that experience. Oh. It's important for them. They come out and on Monday morning, when we start to go through the things that we like just quick review before we move forward, it's, they're always on point. And it's, it's an interesting thing how like that it's actually a part of their learning process. And when we just keep teaching, 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 and never give an opportunity for it just to soak and like become a part of who the dog is, they, they miss a lot of those things. They, it's they too much at once. They don't put it together. Right. So they, then you can sort of freeze them into the behavior, but they haven't settled the head into being okay with the behavior and, yeah. or the rules or whatever. So, and same with horses, they need time to get turned out. They need time to just hack around on a loose rein, no jumping every day. You know, they need time to just sort of be, I guess. Yeah, just exist. Off just do nothing. And, and, and it's, it's crazy to me how much it like does soak in. And funny you mentioned you take Saturdays off. I've tried that and I can't, I can't even get that to work. If I, I pull the dog out and if I'm like, this dog's not having a day, I just, it, that's the day off. <laughs> so I don't, even, randomly. I don't even have a set day. Just whatever I feel that the dog is can't, but that just works for your all over the place crazy mind. That's why. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I love, I, again, I revel in chaos, and I'm just in that case. As I need to have it like Saturdays <laughs> is off. I got some time to chill. I can just spend time with my own dogs, or just be lazy, or whatever. Exactly. And that's it. And then go back to work. Like I need to have a little bit of a schedule to it. But there are days when, like, if a dog is like just not ready to move forward with something, it's like, yeah, we'll do very basic stuff, and then you just chill. Okay. Because that dog is showing that it needs more of that soaking time. And that's exactly. just goes back to being able to know the dog, right? And read it and know the difference that's important. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite thing about what you do now? Um, a lot of people complain that it's lonely, but compared to the horses and the traveling and everything and all the crazy people, it's 
so not lonely to me. <laughs> and I love just being home. I'm not good at, I don't do lessons. I already mentioned that. And um, I'm only doing like the three weeks or more next year. I don't like being told when to be places. <laughs> so, you know, I do place until from like five or six at night until like 1130 at night. So I take the pie at like 1130 and midnight and I get up at like 845 or nine and I don't have to do any lessons and I can go to the barn when I want and I can train in the morning or I can train in the afternoon. And I don't have any set days off. I don't go to the barn on Mondays, except last Monday I went to the barn. So. Right, I, I knew it. It's like, <laughs> I don't do this except, I don't do that except. But um, basically there's no rules in your life and that's why you love it. Yeah, I just do whatever. And I don't have really too much of a rhyme or reason for it. And you know, every dog I'm like, this is the, we all get to the same thing, but how the dog gets there, I, I couldn't tell you, you know, yeah. I just come out and that's how we do it. And it seems to work. I mean, some of those hard dogs, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with you, but you get to the end and they, they're fine. So they're good. Um, and honestly, as long as the owners are happy, that's the biggest thing for me. You have to remember the owners are a little bit of a difference. Most people tell me they would pay me just so that the dog would walk on the leash like that for yeah. two and I'm like, <laughs> and I train pretty willy nilly. Like I'm not that strict about it. Um, I don't do auto sits at doorways. I don't do auto sits when I'm walking. I actually expect the dog to stand and be calm and think and look to me for direction, which I think is arguably maybe harder. Um, I have gotten dogs in from previous board and trains that are like rapid fire obedience and they're nuts, but they don't know how to just stand there and then calmly look up and focus at you. So I see a huge benefit to just being able to stand, stand still and get the same results rather than being that then knowing when you stop, you have to sit. It's like, no, when we stop, you just stop and stand there and then stare at me. And then, okay, we proceed together. So, um, but it also too, a little bit depends on the dog. I mean, if we have a serious real asshole on our hands, then you're going to get some, you better right. say sit, sit and down or distinguished. And you know, there's some other so that's more about like your the dog's attitude, I guess you can call it, yeah. than anything else. Yeah, exactly. And so it just totally depends on the dog. And it's totally willy-nilly. And I'm a little bit the same way with the horses. Like, well, and I'll try. I'm very creative. I'll try. If I can come up with it and things are not working, I will do it. <laughs> like, because I realized too, like, you can do it wrong with animals. Like, you can mess up. You know, you try not to, obviously. Anybody that's working with animals doesn't want to do animals. But if you have a moment where you mess up or whatever and it's too much or too little or whatever, then they, they really do – when you handle it, when you have the right head going into it in the first place, they can take a pretty big joke like that and they'll rebound from it. If you help right. – oh, whoops, you know, ooh, sorry, let's do that over – and, you know, even if it includes a day off or two days off or whatever, then fine. Like, usually they come right back and and they're really remarkable in that way that, you know, even if you, know, you have a moment where you break their trust or you get it wrong or whatever, they're, you know, they're willing to take that breath and come back with you and learn to trust you again, um, which is nice. Yeah. The resilience of dogs is pretty... It's pretty astounding. I don't know if I ever used that word before, but it's pretty, it's, it's amazing to see how, how resilient dogs actually really are and how they will bounce back. And there's always those ones that's going to take longer 
or yeah. going to need more work or more trust building with it. But I think that most of the time we tend to get stuck on those situations longer than the dog, you know, yeah. and especially I say we as like the collective human, because like, especially yeah. I think dog owners who struggle with punishment or who struggle with discipline and boundaries and all of that hard, not fun stuff. Like, they're concerned about the dog's feelings generally, which is a valid concern. But if they actually really watched it, you'd usually see that you, the human, are more stuck on it longer than the dog. The dog is generally like, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore. And then you're like, I'm so sorry, right? And like, you, it hurts you more than the dog. And it's just an interesting thing to, to recognize that because dogs are so resilient, because like you said, you can go a little too hard sometimes and the dog will bounce back or give it a few days and it's going to come out of its shell or whatever it is. Yeah. But the owner is the one who generally gets stuck in that state and that's where the real struggle happens. And what I found is when the owners get stuck is when the dog gets stuck the most, right? Yeah. When the owner is emotionally invested in the not wanting to hurt the dog's feelings is when it actually hurts the dog's feelings the most. And like, I don't think the dog's feelings are actually hurt, but you know, it's when it actually stays it's, stuck there the most. Yeah. It's a bad headset is it's easy with horses. Like you get a, you know, a horse spooks at something and you got an amateur rider on it. And then the owner is afraid of that part of the wall. Right. <laughs> and so you have a horse that's literally, and then the horse will spook. I mean, and the spooking will get worse and worse and worse. And I can get on a horse like that and ride it around. And it's not going to spook. And I'm like, well, why would I be afraid that it's going to spook? And they're like, well, because it's spooked there once. And I'm like, well, like, you can't, you're literally causing the horse to be spooky now. You know what I mean? Like, you got to just move on. You know, it's The same idea as why you can take a leash and walk a dog that goes crazy on walks, right? Yeah. Or gets scared of something and you can walk past that scary thing. And a lot of it is as like – a hippy dippy as it sounds to a lot of people a lot of it is the energy of the owner of the rider of the person who's in charge of that animal feeding off into that animal and the dogs or or the horses i'm assuming you're saying it so i'm going to trust you on this yeah. but like the animal picks up on that right away before we even do generally because that's how they live they live in that state right yeah. they're not communicating verbally they're not in the space of like waiting to see what the other person is going to say. They're waiting to see what the other being that's with them, that's their group is feeling, is thinking. And as soon as they sense that, they're like, we got to react. It's the only other option, right? Yeah. If, if there's danger and I don't react to the danger, danger kills nature. It's that simple, right? So the dog is like, I'm walking past that garbage can. And because I always, I one time got scared of the garbage can. Now my owners always get nervous about the garbage can. I better keep getting scared of the garbage can. And then all of a sudden you take the leash. You don't have any fear of the garbage can. You don't even know the dog does. So you walk right past it. Right. Yeah. And the dog is fine. And I think too, maybe this goes back to the whole, you know, you got to advocate, advocate with more space first, but instead of overcorrecting, do it for yourself too. Yeah. Because the mindset goes both ways. So if you have a horse that's spooking at the corner, why don't you cut the corner off by 50 feet? <laughs> and then slowly, even for a week, if you got to do it for a week, fine, do it for a week. And then, and then get it back so that you're all on the same page. So when you have a moment or the garbage cans or the biting dog or whatever, you know, then, you know, keep them, you kind of got to 
you gotta, and maybe it almost too affects people more than they think that it does. Uh, in some cases, they don't really realize that they're being so like that about it. Like for even for dogs, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know why people would necessarily be afraid of, unless the dog bit them when they were afraid of the trash cans. But like cars, well, the, reactivity or whatever, it's like like the trauma of the situation. And like yeah. I use trauma lightly there because I don't think it's traumatizing when a dog gets scared. But like <laughs> even the bite, let's say, right, or a dog gets overly excited and it's. It's the frustration and, and that knowing of the situation that puts the person right back there each time. Mm -hmm. So they want to prevent it and they want to stop it. And then they feel it. And as they, they anticipate it, right? How many times on a go-home session do you tell people to relax their arm? Oh, I do the whole, like, you walk right. in like Right. And, and why is it? It's not because they need to anymore. We all know they don't need to. But the natural reaction is when I walk my dog, I got to hold it tight because dog pulls me. Dog goes crazy. Dog's a psycho. And I need to fight it back. Right. Yeah. Even though they logically know that it's been trained for two weeks, three weeks, it can walk basically off leash. It's a great dog. They know it. They've seen the videos. They've seen you do it. It's it's the 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 body becomes wired to do that. And it's yeah. it's reworking themselves through it. That takes a lot of that's what I think a lot of the training is, especially with the tougher dogs, is owners rewiring their way of thinking about things because they've been so trained because of circumstances that they're in it's not a fault of their own but because of the circumstances they've been so trained to have act on impulse right like and and to not to slow down not to think through the process but just to think about the trauma of the situation that started all of this that got them into it that now wires their body to act a certain way and without even realizing it they are afraid they are reactive i'm talking about the owners afraid yeah. and reactive and anxious and fearful or no impulse control, all the same things that the dog has essentially. And they create this vicious cycle with each other. So we can train the dog and then the owners got to step in and retrain themselves as well, because that energy that you spoke of, right? That confidence that's necessary to actually walk past the garbage can or the spooky wall with the horse. It, it has to, it has to be a team job essentially is yeah. what I'm saying, I think. And I think I'm saying the same thing too, with the way I send dogs home. That's why I don't teach off leash shield. Like it's a team thing. We go in small steps here. We're not going home to like run the Olympics. Yep. We're going home to do place, go on short walks and like, please do not walk your dog for one hour. You're going to get to the end of the point and then you're going to come and then you're going to, you know, they're going to, their head's going to be out of it and your head's going to be out of it. And then you're just going to have to run home, which, you know, I tell people if that happens, fine, whatever, but fix it tomorrow. And then, you know, but you just have to have all these small moments where it builds up and then you're in the end, then you're there together. But I don't, people don't understand the power of, People are so busy. I don't think they understand the power with animals, you know, to start over sort of and start with less and to give it time because they've never had to do that. I don't, you know, I guess with kids, I don't know. I don't have any kids, but I'm assuming with kids, I don't have kids either, but I'm <laughs> assuming with kids, I, I like to read parenting books and I, I've oh. worked with children in a school. Yeah. I'm assuming with kids, it happens more naturally that they automatically do things slowly because you're not going to expect a toddler to be running a marathon, yeah. okay. right? They, you know, if they fall off the pool deck, they're not going to run and jump into right. It's so, forced to happen naturally in a slow yeah. way because you have a kid yeah. and he's he's an infant and all it does is shit itself and eat, right? And then it starts to crawl. And then it, and when it crawls, you're excited for it. And you don't expect it on day one when it crawls to be on the monkey bars. Then it right. starts to walk. But when it walks, it still falls and you don't expect it to be doing jumping jacks, right? And yeah. like, 
you you know the expectations that you're supposed to have for it because it's normal it's a natural thing with dogs people get puppies or adult dogs and expect because of i think society has kind of messed up people's way of thinking about dogs expects the dog to be a great dog that loves them that wants to be around them that wants to listen all these things that all these expectations that really if you looked at it in that natural way the same way as how you look at your kid if you're going to humanize your dog anyways do it right then it has to take small incremental steps right you can't expect the dog that just learned how to walk nicely on a leash to walk down like fifth avenue in manhattan on a leash just because he's able to do it in a quiet neighborhood you know and it's an it's it should be very common sense and logical but we've kind of forgotten that dogs are pretty similar to us in the sense of how they learn right yeah. and need that incremental stage built up one on top of another slowly as opposed to like you got this do it all and yeah. when it comes to boarding trains i tell everyone who i work with your dog is you're catching up to your dog right yeah. So if you try, like, just because yesterday while your dog was with me, he was off leash at the park and doing awesome with five other dogs, doesn't mean that tomorrow when he goes back home, that's what you should be doing because there's no reason the dog should do that for you and you're not confidently there, right? So your dog probably won't do it for you. But if you build on the same steps that we used to build, right, and then slowly rework that program, in no time you'll have it because your dog has all the information, yeah. All the information is in your dog's head. You're catching up to that. And your job is to build your confidence off of what the dog learned in order to catch up. Yeah, exactly. And I think, but too, I think also pup, people get lost because puppies, puppies are more advanced than people think. Yeah. So you do need to take a step back and go slowly if you have that happenstance. But also your one and a half year old dog is not a puppy. Like, <laughs> four month old puppies can sit on place for four hours. You know what I mean? So and now some are more, you know, again, read the dog, but, um, you know, and kids, I think it almost goes like, I know that they grow quickly, but they're much less independent than dogs are right. at the same rate of speed. So you do sort of have to push and expect more, but also when you have those, you know, if your dog does get scared of the trash can, then yeah, take those steps back. And it's usually quite fixable pretty quickly absolutely yeah small steps are so important the first person who i ever learned anything dog training from who's not famous no one knows about him i don't think his name is anthony jerome so if you know of anthony jerome that would be cool not you specifically but anyone listening um but he he's done a lot for the dog training world at least here in new york um and he always used to tell me slow is fast right yeah. And it took me a while of actually really working dogs a lot to fully get what that meant, to really internalize it. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, do things slowly, right? Whatever. It's a nice line. It sounds very cute. But when I started to really work with dogs and realized, like, you can work on day one on one thing and day two on another thing, and it looks like you're not making any progress. And then all of a sudden, it's like you look back and you remember how the dog was two weeks ago and now how it is. And there's this full picture and it, it gets there from those small steps. Like we were saying, those small incremental steps, building, building, building. And that's when you get the big thing. When you try to rush to the finish line, but not actually run the race, like you're not actually getting anything out of it. It's those small steps that it takes to actually get there. So it's definitely, it's something that I'm constantly reminded of with dogs. Slow is fast. And I owe it to him. He taught it to me. So shout out to Anthony. Um, <laughs> he's a good man. So 
here's the question that I know you don't want to answer because you claim you don't have an answer, but now you're going to have to answer it anyways. So what's the one thing that if every dog owner was listening to you right now that you'd want them to know? Oh, I still don't and really... you could think about it if you want or not. Oh. Uh, I don't, I mean, shoot. Um, um, hmm. I think that, you know, I mean, honestly, treat your dog like an individual. I get a lot of people that are like, well, my last dog, and I have to be that asshole that's like, well, that one died. So here we are. So, you know, treat treat the dog like an individual, in a, not like a human, but in the sense of that dog is that dog and really figuring out what that dog needs to be able to put their needs above your wants with the dog. And I think a lot of people would have a lot better outcomes in the first place than even they do if they do have to send the dog to an intensive training like if you'd sort of done that in the first place then you probably would have been better off even than you are now after training um and i think you'll feel like you're being more fair in that sense and the dog will probably look to you more as a natural leader anyways because you're treating them, you know, on an individual level and not so much like, well, this is what I want and this is what I need. And my other dog was like this and I wanted a dog like that and all these things. And it's just like, well, you have the dog that you have. Like if you don't want the dog, then find it a new home or treat the dog as the individual that it is and really, you know, look into it that way. Um, and cause it's really, they're all, they're all same, but they're all different. And yeah. Um, it's, it's funny how they're also the same, but they're also different and people, I think it's hard to make that distinguish, distinguishing, you know, factor, I guess. I don't know. So that's a pretty good answer for someone who claims that they have no idea what they would say to that question. <laughs> you were so concerned about it before we went live that you don't know what you're going to do with that question. I knew you'd come up with something good. That's, that's probably one of the best things you could say like dogs are individuals and if we any trainer knows like you said we all get those people that say but betty didn't do that my last dog didn't do that right like she was so good she never bit anyone she never and it was even the same breed we yeah. got it from the same breeder yeah. even yeah right <laughs> and like yeah. that key thing that's so important of the individuality of the dog i have three dogs you have four and I'm sure we can go on for hours talking about how different they all are, right? Crazy. And I deal with each of my dogs differently. I respect them all. Therefore, I treat them all differently. And I know that they're all individuals. And I try my hardest when I work with clients' dogs to do the same thing as well, like to know that these are individuals. My individual dog is really big in since now. Um, <laughs> but that they're individuals and they got to be respected as that and treated as that and the relationship that owners would have if they actually treated their dogs like individuals would be so much better. Yeah. You know, they'd yeah. actually get more out of it. 
just for the simple fact of they're living in the moment with the dog. When you keep comparing your dog to your past dog or to your friend's dog or your childhood dog, you're losing out on appreciating the beauty of your individual dog. Besides for the fact that you could like learn how to help it better, but you're missing out on like all the beautiful things about your individual dog that makes it special. It's yeah. It's also like your individual dog is the asshole and therefore you have to do things differently than you did with Betty. But the other side of it is if you focused on your dog in front of you and not just your past dog, your friend's dog, whatever, then you'll get more out of it because you'll actually be able to see the nuances of the beauty of your dog and truly appreciate it more. So that's an awesome answer you gave. <laughs> I think you have, but you have, when you have a better understanding of the dog that you have, you, your relationship is better with the dog. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know what you can do when, and you know, really, I feel like too, you know, if I, if I wanted Frank to like to go out, I mean, he might not ever, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like he doesn't want to go out and lay down on the patio. You know what I mean? So I have three other dogs I can take with me to do it, to go out to dinner. But I think you can push dogs, you know, even ones that don't want to do some intense things like that, that, you know, you, you, when your relationship is that good because you understand why and where, and not that why and where always matters, but, you know, you just have another level of trust there with each dog. And I think you can take, you can take things so much further. Uh, I get a lot of people that say that anyway. So like, oh, I don't want to leave my dog for two weeks or three weeks. And are they going to remember me? Are they going to be this? I love my dog so much. And people always say to me, Oh my gosh, I thought I loved my dog before. And now this is like crazy. Like they never knew that they could be on that level with their dog, but really you can be on any level you want with any dog, but you yeah. got to understand who they are as an individual to do that. And then you have to sort of adjust how you are with them. And um, you can meet in the middle again, meet in the middle and then greatness is yours if you want it. I love it. All right, let's wrap it up with that. Treat your dogs like individuals, folks. You'll have a better relationship with them. It's that simple. Um, do you want to tell everyone where they can follow you, find you, get a hold of you? Sure. Um, I have a website, alldogsbalancetraining.com. Uh, I also have Instagram, alldogsbalancetraining on Instagram. Um, I have a Facebook. I don't do too many things. I do that thing where you like share on Instagram yeah. and post it to Facebook <laughs> that you're not supposed to do. Um, but I get a lot of Facebook messages and I answer them. Um, I do have like a, I have a get started, like a submission form. So if you're really interested and you've looked at all my stuff or whatever, you can do fill out the form and it'll come to my email. And I'll, I usually get, a, I have like an automated response, but I usually always get back to people within 24 hours and um, I'll shoot you a text or an email back. And then I usually, my phone number is like, I know Russ is very guarded with his phone number. <laughs> 405 dogs. <laughs> Anyone who wants can text me right now. <laughs> my uh, phone number is like Halloween candy. I just throw it out. Everybody and their mother has it in Indiana, I feel like. Yeah, I can give mine out because it's like a separate number. So I don't. everyone who texts me for the next hour after this is not getting replied to anyways. So sure. it's fine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, it's, you know, anyway, I try to be as open as I can and um, all right, cool. So it's all dogs balance training on Facebook, Instagram, and your website. Yep, yep. Cool, awesome. Thank you for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you, everyone who tuned in. Hope you guys enjoyed. For everyone who's listening on podcast platforms, shoot me a message on some social media and let me know where you listen. I'm genuinely curious. I want to know where you're listening from and what platform you're tuned in on so I can 
get those stats because it feels cool to know. All right, guys. Love you all. Hope you all have an awesome night. Thanks for tuning in. This was fun. Thanks so much.